0: Well, we have learned that Romans divides into two sections. Chapters 1 to 11 is all about doctrine. Chapter 12 onward is the practical application. And I think you learn from this the vital importance of application. You know the difference between a lecture and a sermon. A lecture gives you a whole bunch of truths or facts, and just leaves them hanging. Do what you like with them. That's the lecturer. The preacher is called not to abandon truth, but to take that truth and persuade men and women to do the will of God. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I trust that today the Lord will bless as we again open the book and preach the word. Our message today is in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. Someone said that it's one thing to be willing to die for Christ, another to be willing to live for him. And today we're going to be digging in and what it means to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. We have a Luther lesson, and then our hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and I pray that God will use his word in your heart today. Let's go straight to that Luther lesson on indulgences. Indulgences, free to sin. Luther was one day seated in the confessional at Wittenberg. Many of the townspeople came successively and confessed themselves guilty of great excesses. Adultery, licentiousness, usury, ill gotten gains, such were the crimes acknowledged to the minister of the word by these souls of which he would one day have to give an account. He reprimanded, corrected, and instructed. But what was his astonishment when these individuals replied that they would not abandon their sins? Greatly shocked, the pious monk declared that since they would not promise to change their lives, he could not absolve them. The unhappy creatures then appealed to the letters of indulgence. They showed them and maintained their efficacy. But Luther replied that he had nothing to do with these papers, and added, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. They cried out and protested, but the doctor was immovable. They must cease to do evil and learn to do well, or else there was no absolution. Have a care, added he, how you listen to the clamors of these indulgence merchants. You have better things to do than buy these licenses, which they sell at so vile a price. The inhabitants of Wittenberg, in great alarm, hastily returned to Tetzel. They told him that an Augustinian monk had treated his letters with contempt. The Dominican, at this intelligence, bellowed with anger. He stormed from the pulpit, employing insults and curses. And to strike the people with greater terror, he had a fire lighted several times in the marketplace, declaring that he had received an order from the Pope to burn all heretics who presumed to oppose his most loyal or holy indulgences. Such is the fact that was not the cause, but the first occasion of the Reformation. A pastor, seeing the sheep of his fold in a course in which they must perish, sought to withdraw them from it. Luther, who was impelled equally by obedience to the word of God and charity toward men, ascended the pulpit. No one can prove by Scripture that the righteousness of God requires a penalty or satisfaction from the sinner, said the faithful minister of the Word to the people of Wittenberg. The only duty imposed is a true repentance, a sincere conversion, a resolution to bear the cross of Christ, and to perform good works. It is a great error to pretend to oneself to make satisfaction for our sins— to God's righteousness. God pardons them gratuitously by his inestimable grace. So Luther concluded with the people. Finally, glancing at his adversaries, Luther concluded in these words, and should any cry out that I am a heretic, for the truth I preach is very prejudicial to the strong box or treasury. I care but little for their clamors they are gloomy and sick brains, men who have never tasted the Bible, never read the Christian doctrine, never comprehended their own doctors, and who lie rotting in the rags and tatters of their own vain opinion. May God grant both them and us a sound understanding. Amen. After these words, the doctor quitted the pulpit, leaving his hearers in great emotion at such daring language. This was the public struggle for the hearts and souls that led to Luther's protest with his 95 theses that became the Protestant Reformation. Thank you for being a part of the program here today as we let the Bible speak. We're moving now from the Reformation, Martin Luther standing against John Tetzel and the indulgences, to Romans chapter 12, the passage where we are exhorted to where Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, that ye become living sacrifices, willing to daily yield service unto the Lord, and to his church. So, stay tuned with us as we turn to the pulpit ministry of our church here in Cloverdale. You're not to refuse to use the gifts, the talents, the opportunities that God gives you in his service. It's going to cost. It's going to require time and effort and energy, but it's all part of living as a living sacrifice. See how it would be almost easier to be a martyr, to die once and it's all over? We're not called at this point to be martyrs. We're called to be living servants, sacrificial servants of the Lord Jesus. Six weeks ago, when Buell and I were back in Ulster, we visited a good number of churches. I preached in four or five different services. And uh, on a Sunday morning, the first Sunday in September, Sunday morning, we went to Armagh, Free Presbyterian Church. Now, the city of Armagh is sort of the ecclesiastical capital of Ireland. It was the place where Patrick is said to have had his uh, HQ, and the Anglican Church has their cathedral there. The Roman Catholic Church has their cathedral. And as you look around the city, on these various little hilltops, there are huge churches and spires, and right there, there is the Free Presbyterian Church. Now, Dr. Paisley, he used to boast that the Free Presbyterian site was higher than all the other church sites. I don't know. You could do that easily now with instruments, but uh, he certainly made that claim uh, without any compunction. And so, it is true that as you go up to the church, it is a, a steep roadway, and then a steep driveway up into the car parking lot, and then it plateaus at the top where the parking area is. Now, as usual when you're a guest preacher, you're close to the last leaving after the service is over. And so when Beulah and I were driving out of that parking lot, heading down that steep driveway, we noticed one of the church elders— and he had under his arm a bundle of white communion tablecloths. And they had communion that morning. We sat back and enjoyed that. But here was an aged saint of God doing his little task. I'm not sure if he did it every time. I'm not even sure if he had a wife at home to wash those cloths. But it was evident to us there's someone doing his task. Just a little thing. But he did it and was following, going down that hill, well, with with, with a little bit of difficulty. But he was going to do the task for the Lord. Verse 9, Paul said, without dissimulation, without dissimulation. It means with a genuine love, genuine love. It is the Greek word agape. It is that sacrificial love. It's the love, the same love that took our Savior to the cross. It was the love that he had for his church, his people, when he was willing to suffer in agony and bleed on that cross. I will do it for my people. That was the love that motivated him. And there ought to be at least a drop of that love in the heart of every Christian that wants to serve sacrificially, doing the least if he must, but doing it without dissimulation, without protest, without grumbling. Now, love hurts. It hurts to love. Did you know that? It's true. When death comes, But we know it's better to have loved and lost than not to have loved at all. And it will hurt to love. And if you really love the Lord and you really want to serve him, it's going to hurt. You've got to be willing to serve with all your heart. I think what the church needs today is a great dose of reality. Reality. The church is not the sandbox in the playground. The church is the workplace to serve the living Christ. We are workers called to serve. We are to lay down our lives on the altar of service. And that will lead us in doing God's will. Then in verse 10, a living sacrifice with humility, you need to remember that we are to prefer or promote our brethren and sisters. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Literally, it means to lead the way for others, helping them in their service for the Lord. And that's what it will take. When others are in authority over you, or are promoted above you, you will prefer their promotion to your own advancement. Not everyone in the church becomes elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers. These are all offices to serve the people and teach the Word according to God's order. But church problems come when people think of themselves better than the others oh, I could do a better job than he does or she does. And they enter into what we can only call a self-appraisal of themselves. Did you know that no Christian can do that? You cannot appraise your own spirituality. What will it lead to? Pride. You cannot say, I am a good enough Christian. You may allow others to say that about you, but you cannot promote yourself and say, I am a good enough Christian for that task. And so, rather than preferring self, you promote others, and you are willing to become the least. And of course, when others promote you, that's the voice of the church. That's the agreement of God's people. They see those gifts. They see those talents. They see those abilities in you, and they say, we want you to take that task. We want you to stand for that office. They want you to serve Christ in this way. And that now becomes the agreed testimony of the church that this is right for you But no man can stand up and protest and say, I must have that job. No one else can do it like me. Oh, how sad that attitude becomes. And so lay your life on the altar. And the Lord promises that if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. That's God's way. The way up is down, and the way down is when we push ourselves up. And so, if you want to be used of God, if you want to be a living servant of the Lord, consecrate yourself. Lay your life on the altar, and in due season, the Lord will exalt you. Verse 12, we come to the next one, and that is patient in tribulation. Now, this patience is to endure joyfully in the face of trials and how hard it is, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer." Now, here I ask you, does God really ask his children to do exceedingly hard things? Some people in the prosperity mindset would say, never. God always makes life a cakewalk for his children." would he ask his own little dear ones uh, to endure pain and agony and trial? What kind of a god would he be if he planned a path of trial for his own children? What father would do that? Well, the answer is yes. Just ask Job. In our youth meeting last Sunday evening, we had a quiz on Job chapter 1, and what a story it is. Job, the most perfect man on the face of the earth, who eschewed is, is evil. And you know what a stew means? It doesn't mean to chew food. It doesn't have anything to do with chewing. It means to shun. Job shunned evil. He had a wonderful testimony, and yet he came in the drama between God and the devil the man who would demonstrate his loyalty and his love to God right down to his skin and his bones, and demonstrated through hardship that he would not curse God, but rather he said, bless God. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ask Paul, ask the Lord Jesus, God's own Son, and God appointed him to die on the cross. And so Christianity is all about taking up that cross (laughs) and bearing its shame and its curse in joyful endurance. That's the wonder of this. We don't have a martyr spirit of, oh, pity me. But you're taking up that cross with joy and enduring those difficult things because— For whatever mysterious reason in the sovereignty of God, he is calling you to walk that way of suffering for his glory. That is so often the will of God for us, and we've got to do it patiently with joyful endurance. That's why what I said a few weeks ago about the uh, two crosses by A.W. Tozer, the cross that men think is meant for gain versus the cross that brings pain. Which one is it that you came to for salvation? When you came to the cross of Calvary and you bowed at the knee of Jesus, did you look to the one who was in pain? And he called you to take up his cross and suffer for him. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. (coughs) The next one in verse 14, bless them which persecute you. This gets harder all the time. It gets more specific. Christian life is not a cakewalk. It is a way of trial. It is a way of tribulation. And there are enemies and those who persecute. And here is now my response as a living sacrifice to bless them and curse not. Boy, is this ever a hard one. We know our old nature well enough, don't we? We know the immediate thoughts that come into our mind. I'm going to get my own back on that one. There is within us the immediate instinct of revenge. And the very person that is cursing us, our Shimei. You remember how old Shimei stood on the other side of the river and shouted over to David and cursed him? And David's armor-bearer said, shall I go over and cut his head off? And David said, no, leave him, leave him. This word here, to bless, it's actually the word from which we get eulogized. So we're to look for the good in our enemies. Instead of looking at all the faults and all the failures and all the wrong, we should look for what's good. Number one, they're a living soul that one day will stand at the judgment and pay the awful price for every sin. Secondly, if they're a professing Christian, they have a testimony that we must care about as much as he. If they're living in bitterness, we've got to pray that God delivers them from that bitterness, because we know that bitterness is like acid that destroys from the inside out, and how often we see people just destroy themselves. So, we need to pray instead of persecute. And it was this loving enemies that made Christianity so revolutionary in the first century. That's what made it prosper, because Christians left payment with God. And then you need to accept the reality that as a Christian, you're sent to love your enemies and Christ's enemies, that God may turn them and draw them to the good. One more to go. Verse 18, and you'll notice here, if it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. It's easier to run from the altar of sacrifice. It's easy to throw off the life of self-surrender, but we're called to be self sacrifices And that means that we engage for the good of the body of the Church of Christ. We do nothing that will cause strife, and we do everything that will work for peace. And we pray for that unity of the Spirit, that anointing of the Spirit of, the, of God. And we have that picture in Psalm 133, where the oil was poured down upon the priest that affected the whole life of his intercession how you and I need that anointing of the Spirit, that we be men and women who work for peace and unity in the church of the Lord Jesus. We think of the great unity that was in the early church because they had the mighty anointing and demonstration of the Spirit. Now, I have run down this chapter very quickly because that's my allotted time today. I cannot take more time. But I do need to ask you— Are you willing to be a living sacrifice, bearing these things in mind? Are you really willing to lay your life on the altar of service and say, Lord, whatever it costs, whatever the pain, whatever the shame, I'm willing to take up the cross and have you use my life. Now, why in the world would you ever pray like that? Because Christ is worthy, he made himself a sacrifice for us. And the Christian gospel beseeches us, by the mercies that flow to us from the cross, to become a living sacrifice. There's another reason. Because if you pursue happiness, you will be miserable. That's a given. The man or woman who says, I'm going to be hedonistic and follow after happiness, they never find it. They end up in misery. The only way for a Christian to be happy is to be holy, to come and lay your life down at the feet of the Lord. And of course, without the cross, you'll never see heaven. Maybe there's someone here today, and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you've never come to the cross, and you've said, Why should I, after all that I've heard today? Because it's the cross that leads to glory. If we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. Romans 8. I pray today that God will make us living sacrifices. I would long to hear you praying that. Would you come to the prayer meetings of our church and pray in this manner? Come with your Bible open at Romans 12 and say, Lord, I'm asking that you make me a living sacrifice. And do it as an encouragement, an example to your brothers and sisters, and let this church be filled with men and women who are praying that they so live and so serve as living sacrifices. For the Lord Jesus. Final argument it's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. There's not a reason in the world why you shouldn't, if your soul has been saved and you're going to heaven, it. it's your reasonable service. May the Lord help us and make it so.